welcome back to another episode of Football Frenemies. Cody Tool Time Thomas is here with me, Brandon Jones, and we are here. It's Sunday night. We are going to recap another amazing week of college football. Not just a week of college football, it is rivalry week. Week 13, it's crazy. The season is basically over. It's a little bit sad, but at the same time, this is what it's all about. Everything led up to this weekend. If you're listening and you're like me, you're a Michigan fan, you haven't stopped smiling since yesterday, maybe you're an Alabama fan and and you are still amazed that you pulled that one out, Uh, there are lots of rivalry games to dissect and to uh, take a a look at, but we're going to start with the big one, Michigan and Ohio State. Cody, being our resident Ohio State fan, what is the temperature in Columbus are, are we rational? Are, are we coping? Are we okay? Are we fine? Are we safe? We're none of those. <laughs> it is just pure devastation. Um, I mean, in our lifetime, in when we've started watching college football and we're probably able to actually understand, follow it, rationalize it, We've never seen anything like this. All we've known was Ohio State beating Michigan. Really, the one thing in there, unless you somehow remember the 2003 game, which Michigan won the year after OSU won a national title, the only time Michigan has won outside of this three-game stretch is that 2011 year where Luke Fickle was the interim coach and they just squeaked it out in the end. And so... For us and our generation, this is just unprecedented times. This this isn't supposed to be real. This isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be able to lose three straight. Two in a row may be understandable just with the right class and us maybe rebuilding, but it's not like Ohio State is in a rebuild zone. We are putting NFL talent each year, and our defense is the best it had been in a long time. So uh, it. It just was just being shoved to the ground and having dirt kicked in your face and just anything that could be painful. And then you you follow it up. Anyone else in the state of Ohio, the Bengals lost to the Steelers. The Browns lost to the Denver Broncos in the absolute biggest joke of a way. Like it, it is just absolute destruction and devastation in the state of Ohio. The only bright spot that we have is the Columbus crew, our major league soccer team, went to Orlando and won a playoff game on Saturday. And so now we are going to be playing FC Cincinnati in the Eastern Conference Finals in what is called the Hell is Real Derby. Because if you've ever driven in the state of Ohio and you've driven down I-71, there is a sign that on one side says, where will you spend eternity? And then there's another sign that says, Hell is Real. You see that on your way down to Cincinnati. And then if you're driving back up to Columbus, you see the Ten Commandments on both sides. So they're very, very famous signs in the state of Ohio. So next Saturday, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals will be in Cincinnati. So I'm thinking about just going all in for this and getting tickets and going to the game. I don't know what the point is. I'm just going to be upset and sad again because <laughs> FC Cincinnati's real. So, dude, it, it is it is doom and gloom in the state of Ohio right now. Well, let's uh, let's lap up some of that despair real quick. Uh, would you tell us, as far as the last three matchups go, 
How does this one rank in terms of disappointment, frustration, despair? Uh, I think 2021 was honestly, I think, more of a shock. 2022 being at home, maybe you might point to that one being the worst loss. But is this being a third straight, does that make it the worst or is it not quite? I don't think it makes it the worst, but to be honest, this is the most disappointing loss. Because the first two games, you can sit there and be like, man, Michigan just outplayed Ohio State, bullied them, made the bigger plays. While in this game, honestly, Michigan kind of just stayed the course and said, we're not going to slip up because they will. And that's exactly what happened. There's a lot of that game where anyone who's walking away could could easily tell you there was a decent amount of that game where Ohio State was outplaying Michigan, that we looked more balanced on offense and our defense looked a little bit more capable. But in the end of the day, we were the ones who broke. Offensively, we broke because we were the ones that committed two turnovers. And unfortunately, like I said in the preview, which – I'm really upset at myself that I think I spoke this into existence that the difference from Michigan would be that they would get a turnover that set them up inside Ohio State's red zone. And that's exactly what happened. Will Johnson got that interception that put them on the eight-yard line, and they cashed it off, cashed it in on a fourth down run. Um, and then Kyle McCord threw another turnover late, but you know, that one, you know, was more in desperation time, right? Um, but the other thing Michigan did well was they were efficient, especially on that final drive. Um, they really, they just killed so much clock and they were just sucking the life out of that game. Um, but yeah, honestly, I I walked away thinking those were two very even comparable teams. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, Michigan didn't make mistakes. I, we talked about how, how one of the things I said the matchup was, was JJ versus McCord, right? McCord did have more yards, but... JJ was more effective mm-hmm. because JJ made some big plays, crucial plays that extended drives, kept them going, resulted in points. Um, so, but anyways, to get back to the main point, yes, I, this one honestly hurts the most because it felt like we easily could have walked out of there with the win and we just, we weren't clean enough. Michigan was a more efficient team and they got the win. So two questions I think we have to ask. I think I know your answer for both of these. Uh, Ryan Day and Kyle McCord, are they two guys that you want back wearing the scarlet and gray next year? For me, I have the same answer for both of them. Is if you move on from them, who are you replacing with? I don't think you can move on from either unless you have an upgrade at either position secured before you let them go. Let's start with Ryan Day. He has lost the three most important games in the last three seasons, unless you want to count the Georgia game as more important. Uh, Three out of the four most important games at minimum. He's lost them. Um, Two of them just being absolutely dominated. And in this game, it felt like he was too conservative. And you didn't, you never saw Ohio State fired up in that game, right? You never saw them fired up. You saw Michigan take after Sharon Moore's emotions. OSU never took after Ryan Day in that game. Uh, 
but he's like 22 and two in the regular season, the last two seasons, right? Mm -hmm. He's got seven losses overall in five seasons, I believe. Um, He has the current best winning percentage of all coaches. And that's tough to compare to some guys like Dabo and Nick Saban and Brian Kelly, who have been doing it for a long time. But still, five seasons in, he has the best winning percentage in college football right now. So if you moved on from him, you have to have an upgrade say yes. Like you have to have a better coach. And to be honest, who in college football are you like, that's a surefire upgrade? Because if you poach someone, it has to be from from a school that has done something meaningful. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do. Um, and I don't exactly know who that is. There is one name I have in mind, and we've talked about it before, that I would be intrigued by the idea. But at the same time, I still really don't know who you upgrade. And it's the same thing with Kyle McCord. He technically is leading the Big Ten in passing. So if you moved on who are you bringing in that is going to be an upgrade? Because as of right now, the best option is going to be a true freshman next year, Aaron Nolan. Mm-hmm. So he might be a great talent, but there's no sign that he's going to be ready to fill that spot while Kyle McCord was an 11-1 and as a starter and has a big win on the road against a school like Notre Dame. Um, so I don't think you just move on from them from the sake of it. I think you move on from them if you have a clear upgrade. I am curious is when the likelihood is we're in a New Year's Six Bowl game is if they let Devin Brown play that game just to just to see what you have in him. I would be a little curious if they did that. Do you think, um, <clears throat> let's say you, if you could go the Notre Dame route and get a fifth-year senior, I guess in – uh, Sam Hartman's situations. I think he's a sixth-year guy. If you could get a guy like a Sam Hartman next year, is that the route you would go? Like I, I think of, um, I think it's Michael Pratt and at Tulane who might be available. There's a chance. Um, Riley Leonard at Duke could be a, a transfer target. Uh, trying to think who else is out there that could be a transfer. You might know there might be some coming to your mind. Jalen Daniels at uh, Kansas has said he's going to return to Kansas, but you know, the, fire the NIL cannon. Who knows? Any of those names maybe tickle your fancy, or you you think that Kyle McCord is the, is the guy? See, Michael Pratt is on my short list, and I've only got two names on it too. And Michael Pratt is number two, but he is. Uh, very experienced. He's got a really, really good arm. I think with incredible talent, a good offensive line, a good oh, offensive I know number coach, one. he could do it. You know who number one is. Um, but if if we if we were gonna That's, really bring someone proven, in, though. kind of. But I mean, like it is a little bit. But if you were gonna bring someone up, you've got to shake it up. It's got to be someone with incredible upside. It's got to be someone who you've seen has a great arm and great ability. <laughs> but at the same time, what Ohio State is really missing is swagger and attitude and honestly some arrogance and i think (laughs) you get all three of those in shador sanders and i think if you brought him in it could really electrify ohio state you need someone because we don't have anyone like that as talented as marvin harrison jr is he's very quiet he's a very quiet guy 
the best players on Ohio State these past couple years, they're very quiet, easygoing guys. CJ Stroud wasn't a fire you up, get you hyped, get you pumped. You know, they were just insane talents that are, you know, doing their thing. I think Shadour would bring in a class of, of swagger, of arrogance, and intensity that Ohio State has not gotten. Now, I think it's extremely minimal that we could bring him in because the biggest obstacle you have to have is would he leave his dad? Uh, and the other thing is, might he even just try and go pro this year? But yeah. I think if if there's a period, I don't know what the rules are, but if quarter, coaches were allowed to reach out to quarterbacks or players and gauge them in interest, I think Ryan Day would be crazy just not to know would Shador be interested in being in a place like Columbus at Ohio State. See, I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought you were going to say Arch Manning. Uh, Shadour, I think you would obviously take him. But, yeah, I just think that's a probably a pipe dream. Um, anything else on Ohio State uh, before I want to transfer into what this means for Michigan? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to tell you. Um, the only thing that killed me is I kind of touched on this a little bit, but Ryan Day was very conservative in his play calling. I felt like you did not see an aggressive mindset um, to go after Michigan. I mean, how many real big chances did they take at Marvin Harrison? Two. Mm -hmm. And he completed both of them. One was when Will Johnson literally tackled him before the he ball got there. Because, one hand. <laughs> because he if he if he caught it standing up, it was probably gonna be a touchdown. So Will Johnson just said no. <laughs> and, and then Marvin Harrison still caught it. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there was another one on a great – on honestly, it was a good throw by Kyle McCord on the third down, back shorter throw to Marvin Harrison. But the thought was like, why Why were we not going back to that more and more? I, I told you before, I said Ryan Day just needs to understand his team and just do what gives us the best chance. But you heard him bef before the game and after the game. He said you have to have more rushing yards and you can't have turnovers. Well, you know, turnovers are kind of out of – Ryan Day's control. We made those turnovers. But the running game, I get the whole thing that it's been, what, the last 20 times whoever wins the rushing battle wins the game, right? Mm -hmm. But at some point, it's like the best player in college football is a wide receiver. So, yes, it would be nice to have a good running balance because when Ohio State tied it up at 17, we had some good runs from both Henderson and Chip Trainum. But if you wanted to take that game over – it had to be through Harrison. Basically, Ryan Day just used Marvin Harrison as the failsafe. Oh, no, all this isn't working, so throw the ball to Marv. Marv has to be the first option. He was not the first option in that game. Let's also talk about the fact that Emeka Abuka had three catches for 24 yards. Mm -hmm. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. That just cannot happen. I have been saying all year that I want Henderson to get his touches, and I'm glad that he had a chance. But to be honest, in the second quarter, you could tell they were basically saying, we are not losing this game through Henderson. That's what Michigan said. We are not getting beat by Travion. McCord's got to do it. Um, and I think at some point they should have started to switch their mentality of, we will use Henderson as situational as either a pass catcher or runs when we're really opening up through the pass game. But they kept forcing the run, forcing the run, forcing the run, and Henderson averaged three yards a carry. Mm -hmm. And... Henderson had more rushing attempts than Harrison, Abuka, and Kate Stover had targets in the game. Mm -hmm. And that's not sitting very well with me, that 
they needed more chances to make an impact on the game. And Ryan Day didn't let our skill position players get a better chance to make an impact on this game. I I remember texting you that I, I said I was surprised with how much emphasis Ohio State had on pounding the rock. Now, there was one drive in the, the second half where Ohio State literally ran the ball down Michigan's throat all the way down the field. I was shocked. I, I haven't seen that all year. Uh, but it was weird. It was they did it for one drive and then they couldn't do it again. Uh, I guess probably just an adjustment by Michigan. But uh, I I think I was watching the game and seeing this, and I'm saying the same thing as you. Why aren't they throwing it to to Marvin Harrison more? I I chalked that up as a lack of trust in Kyle McCord, especially after that early interception that led to seven points in a game where clearly both defenses are the best units on the field. Uh, I think there was a, a fear of the back-breaking turnovers uh, really turning that game into uh, maybe not even as close as it was. So that, that's that got to be, for me, why they weren't a little bit more aggressive, especially through the air, uh, which is why I asked you, is Kyle McCord the guy? Because that's not – I don't think that's the offense Ohio State wants to to run. I think they want to be able to, to use those skill weapon guys. But that's a, a question for next year. I guess we'll have to see – uh, you know, what, what cards or what chess pieces return. Last question. How did you feel about the commentary? Uh, did, did Gus and Joel call this game in a way that was pleasing to you, displeasing to you, or just you didn't even notice it? I didn't really notice it. Um, there were eight of us watching the game where I was. So we were pretty much talking throughout the entire time between every <laughs> single play, right? So there was a couple times where I noticed it. And, um, you know, I'm like, there's a couple times where I was like, you know, there's Joel Klatt defending Michigan again, but I'm sure there's multiple times where he probably defended Ohio State during it too. Uh, I mean, if you go to Twitter, I mean, X, obviously it's all these people of Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt love Michigan. But, you know, if Ohio State won, it probably would have been a bunch of Michigan fans saying, oh, they love Ohio State. So, I, at the end of the day, it just, it was what it was. Uh, you know, Gus did mention, mention the signal stealing scheme before the game started. So it wasn't like they avoided it. Uh, they did mention it. They did say it, you know, word for word. Um, but for the most part, I kind of just blocked it out. I wasn't really listening to the commentary that much. From the Michigan side, we, we found it to be highly uh, irritating. I thought it was one of the more, uh, one of the more poorly called games. It felt like they were seeing the game differently than uh, than the rest of the viewers. Uh, so we we tended to try to ignore it too. Uh, for for Michigan, this is a, a game obviously that I think a lot of people will give them some credit back to their previous wins. I think it does um, validate that this is a good team that isn't just a team that is winning because they they knew these signs of other teams but going forward do you think this is a team that can do more than win a big 10 title beat ohio state see that's actually the question i had for you i wanted to ask because the first comment i was going to make is michigan honestly i think they just they moved past it the sign stealing thing i think is now behind it besides whatever punishment the ncaa might give But in terms of narrative, it's now behind. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter. 
they they put it to they put it to bed. Like they literally won the game without their head coach there. Uh, but the question I had for you is, did that game make you feel more confident, the same, or did it actually make you question if this team can actually win a national championship? Can you beat Georgia? Or honestly, who I think is technically the second best all-around team in the country, do you think you could beat Oregon with what you were in the game yesterday? Uh, I think we can beat Oregon. But yeah, Oregon is one of those teams you circle as, uh, I'd rather not get matched up with them. Uh, Just a very well-rounded team and explosive. When you look at the yards per throw that Bo Nix has right now, he hits these receivers, and when they run, it looks different because they glide. And they are running what looks at half speed, and they're pulling away from guys that you can tell are running as fast as they possibly can. Those are the kind of receivers that do scare me when they run like gazelles, and it's just like they're skating out there. Um, but, yeah, I think that they, they can beat it in Oregon. I'm not sure about Georgia. Uh, I want to kind of answer this question with another question to you. Uh, what do you think Ohio state's worst, uh, position group was on the field yesterday? Worst position group, huh? Yep. It's, it's interesting because in one facet of the game, they were pretty good, but in another facet, they really let us down. And so I would give it to the linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, because they did a pretty good job in run stop. Cause there was one run where Donovan Edwards looked like he was about to take off like he did last year. And then yes. Eichenberg just wrapped him up three mm-hmm. yard gain instead of 73 yard gain. But neither of those, neither of Eichenberg or Chambers could do anything about Colson Loveland who he was fantastic. He was. And so just quick random question. <laughs> Who's your MVP of that game for Michigan? Uh, that's a very tough one. Who made a bigger uh, impact than Colson Loveland in that game? It it might be Colson Loveland. Um, at, at the same time, J.J. McCarthy basically just kept everything on schedule and never made a mistake. Uh, so his stat line doesn't jump out, but he extended plays with his legs. He completed you know, the passes he needed to. So I would say between those two, but honestly, it's also the defense as a whole just really did a great job. Uh, After the game, Marvin Harrison said uh, some of the coverage that was on him was something he had never seen before, which is something you like to hear uh, when you're playing such a phenomenal player. Um, But yeah, Colson Loveland, his hands, I, I can't sing enough praises because he was catching balls that, routinely like yeah it hit him in the hands but they were thrown so hard and it is such tight windows a lot of other guys would drop it and he just it was like spider-man just hit his hand it stuck and then he would find yards after the catch so he was phenomenal um the reason i asked you about your your poor most poor position group i think i had two probably for ohio state and linebackers was one and the other one i wanted to know if you if you thought this was the offensive line uh, specifically, you go to that final drive where if Kyle McCord is able to not get hit as he's throwing, that interception might not happen. And I think if if Kyle McCord wasn't under pressure so much, he probably is able to set his feet more and, and maybe win that game for Ohio State even 
before all that last drive. The reason I bring that up is because I thought Ohio State's offensive line outplayed Michigan's offensive line. And that is why going forward, can a Michigan match up with Georgia? It's hard to say right now, unless this offensive line is able to take another step, which it took a step back because their best offensive lineman broke two bones in his leg during the game. Uh, What they did is they swapped the right tackle to right guard, and then they took another offensive tackle off the bench to fill that right tackle position. And there's a world where that actually could be a positive for Michigan because our right tackle has been our weak link, weak link, and perhaps maybe he's just better at guard. But most likely it is going to affect the offensive line in, in some capacity. And it's already a position group that's not as good as it was the past two years. So at, at this point, I think Michigan is probably a team that can win and I think should win its playoff uh, first matchup. And then if they're matched up with like a Georgia in a championship, that would just be a really, really tough battle because they win in the trenches. That's just how they win. And if they don't have time, if JJ doesn't have time to throw, his receivers aren't so elite that they just get open no matter what, like a Marvin Harrison. So uh, that's, biggest, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So th- this is a, this is a legitimate question I'm trying to ask and not just out of, you know, spite like i've legitimately tried to analyze this and put it through is 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 michigan's ceiling above the playoff semifinals because the one thing i've been thinking about over the last few weeks as you've watched michigan play their toughest opponents is they've done a really good job of having a lead in the fourth quarter and for a majority of the game but the two questions i have is let's say they're in a playoff semifinal and they're in a one score game in the fourth quarter from either side. If they're in a lead, can they actually stop some of these quarterbacks that are going to be in the playoff? Cause if you look at the likelihood of the teams, they would play in the playoff you've got in first round, very easily. You could see Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Quinn Ewers, or maybe not as scary, but Jalen Milroe. And is Michigan actually able to stop them? Because, I'll say this. Jalen say scares me more than uh, two out of those three guys you mentioned. Okay. Okay. Because the big thing I'm wondering is, is even, even as Michigan won all those games, all of those teams had chances and they made mistakes. Aller just can't, can't hit the broad side of a barn to save his life. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa threw the ball to nobody in the end zone and had a safety. And as you said, it might've been a little bit of the offensive line, but you know, Kyle McCord at the end of the day can make plays, but he can't, can't sustain it. And, you know, he threw a ball that his arm got slightly tapped, but he just threw a slow wobbler over the middle that was just dying to get picked off. And it did get picked off. But when you come across these QBs that have got better arm strength, and some of these teams have got super good receivers. Uh, I mean, can Michigan can Michigan hang on playing the same way they did these last three games? Is that going to be enough against these teams that have better quarterbacks? Or on the flip side, if Michigan is down one score or let's say 10 points, can they actually fight back? 
And for me, it's not actually do I believe in J.J. McCarthy, but is it do I believe in Michigan's passing game as a whole, mm-hmm. that they can actually do it? Just the combination of J.J. can make some wild throws, because I, I texted you during the game. The one where the controversial you know, Roman Wilson-Denzel Burke touchdown happened, I didn't say anything about the review or the play. I texted you, number 25 on OSU was a moron. Because if he had, because he was literally looking at JJ, and as JJ threw the ball, he turns around. If he stays looking, he probably picks that ball out of the air, or at at worst, he gets a hand on it and deflects it because it was not far above his head. Uh, and then, so, <laughs> as great as that play was to Cornelius Johnson, where he was rolling out and he mm-hmm. went back, that's a that was a risky ball. That was a dangerous. risky ball. And he paid it off. But if they're down scores, he's going to keep making plays like that. And can mm-hmm. he keep doing that over and over again? So do you actually believe, do you think that Michigan can actually hold off some of these top tier QBs in crunch time? Or can Michigan's passing game actually get it done that can finally get them to a national title game? Uh, there's a, a few, a few avenues to go down there. Uh, Going back to the the pass, the touchdown to Roman Wilson. Uh, so you texted me, 25 is an idiot. And I had no idea who 25 was. Uh, so I, I did go back and, and watch that replay. Uh, that, I think, was a very fortunate, well-timed play for Michigan and J.J. McCarthy because it appeared to me that the instant J.J. McCarthy began his throwing motion – is when 25 began to turn around to locate the receiver. Uh, and JJ proceeded to throw it directly over his head. So yes, you're right. If he stood there, he probably picks it off. But I don't know that that was his coverage. I think he was supposed to, you know, get his man coverage, not zone, where he's just chilling there. That's my read on it. So if, if JJ had thrown that a second earlier, I think it would be picked off. But the exact moment he released it is when, uh, I think that's Hartford is beginning to turn around Hartford was and he player. never saw that ball. I don't think he did not see the ball in the air. Like he didn't see the path of it. He just knew it was coming at him, but there was a, there was a cornerback following the receiver because yes. when you saw it in fast motion and just the play, it looked like JJ just threaded a ball in a tight window. That's what it looked like. Cause there was someone trailing Roman Wilson and then there was Malik Hartford. So it looked like he just threaded it. And then when you saw the replay, I like threw a pillow at the TV or something. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, what's going on? So, uh, cause well, I, I, guess- I think it was a, a pretty, uh, a threaded pass, yeah. but if, if Hartford is, let's say a fourth year senior and he's been starting for, you know, three, four years, maybe he does make that play. And I think that's that's where you got to give some credit to Michigan. You attack a, a freshman that hasn't been a, you know, a guy who's been yeah, around the block. That's true. That's true. Um, to, to get back to your other question about can can Michigan catch up, that is a very legitimate question because Michigan is not built that way. Uh, we kind of saw that a little bit against TCU where they weren't really able to do it. Although, in a sense, they kind of did. It's just that their defense didn't get the stops that they're used to getting. Uh, they did score 45 points. Um, and, but I think I do still think that it's a very legitimate question that doesn't really have an answer until they're in that position because their entire game plan is to stay on schedule, which I'm not sure I agree with. I don't know if it's the best uh, philosophy, but it has been very 
productive for them these past three years. Um, the passing game, I think, has an opportunity to take some strides forward, especially this week as Shromore is going to take a huge sigh of relief. He is going to relinquish head coaching duties back to Jim Harbaugh. He can focus on being an offensive coordinator, on being a offensive line coach, and not having to do everything that an offen- or a head coach has to do. So with a little bit less responsibility, I think the offense might be able to start working on ironing out a passing game that's taken some steps back the past couple weeks. I think it's a direct relationship with Coach Harbaugh also being suspended. I mean, you, you see the passing game really dipped as soon as he was no longer on the sidelines. So the coaches might be able to iron that out in the bowl prep and uh, even in this week leading up to the Big Ten Championship. So offensive line play, while we are down our best offensive linemen, perhaps they can come together and uh, work that out. And then passing game, same thing. But as far as coming back, if you're down early, that has always been the question for Michigan. And uh, right now, I mean, history says no, but this is one of the best teams that Harbaugh's had. So you just never know. I guess it's opponent dependent. Do you have uh, any other things you want to say about the game before we move on? Um, I think it definitely is. It puts a, I think, a punctuation mark on the the rivalry with next year in this same situation. These two teams will be playing next Saturday, and so I, I do think that it is uh, bittersweet for for Michigan and Ohio State that. These were two really, really good teams that absolutely battled and played a fantastic game. And uh, next year, you know, we'll see how how things shake out. But at least in this in this instance, it is kind of uh, amazing just to think that one play goes a, a different direction. We could be talking about Michigan season basically being over and Ohio State moving on towards potentially a national championship. And I do think that is the beauty of this sport, the, uh, the, the high stakes nature of it. Uh, so we'll, the one we'll question, move on. The, one, the oh. one last thing I wanted to talk about, because I think there, I think there were good talking points, but I think you actually might be surprised on the route I take with this. What did you think of the officiating in this game? Um, you might have to remind me of some of the calls, but I know that, the Roman Wilson one was a hot topic. I, I couldn't believe, I thought for sure that it, he crossed the plane with the ball and anything that happens after that doesn't matter. So I thought that was a, a clear touchdown. Um, I think there's a very similar catch. I think it was Egbuka uh, maybe. He caught a ball that was eventually rested free away from him after he went out of bounds, which is basically the same logic where uh, – once you're out of bounds, he had already established that he had caught the ball and then went out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Anything that happens after that does not matter. Uh, and so both uh, both plays were officiated correctly, in my opinion. Um, there was one there was, there spot. There was one more. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of a spot where I thought Ohio State might have gotten a first down. It, and, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Short, it was the was second drive, and they did a screen pass to Xavier Johnson. Mm-hmm. And it was so it was zero zero. This was this is before the interception. Third and nine, they throw a screen pass to Xavier Johnson. And I do remember screaming like Ryan Day, call a timeout, call a timeout. And in live action, it looked like he was a yard short. It looked like it. But then when you saw the replay, he spun 
and his arm was a little the ball was a little past the first down marker and his knee and the ball hit the ground at the same time at least that's what it looked like um but and then there was also the on the final drive the Julian Fleming caught it and they hit it loose and it was was it a fumble and you know Abuka recovered it or was it an incomplete pass so I, there I was, was a, fine with with that one being honestly, an incomplete pass honestly or, I mean uh, being a fumble I mean here, here's the thing the only thing that I actually think was truly called incorrectly was the Xavier Johnson one on the second drive but in that instance at that point of the game that's on Ryan Day to call the timeout and make mm-hmm. the booth review it. It's not an automatic booth review. So the one thing I actually wanted to say is I think it's one of the cleanest, best officiated games for Michigan, mm-hmm. Ohio State that we have seen in some time. I actually really appreciated the fact that the referees let the play on the field determine it. They went with their gut on what it looked like in the moment. And anything that was super close, they decided we are not going to be the ones that affect this game. Because the thing I told you about the Roman Wilson touchdown was if that happened not in the end zone, that's an interception. That's Denzel Burke's ball. Um, It did look like the ball moved slightly before he crossed the goal line. But as you said, in the end zone, he did reestablish control before Burke ripped it out. So at that point, the play was over. Because it was a right. touchdown. He had a secured cross. The other one was Julian Fleming on that drive when Ohio State started on like their three-yard line. Was Fleming had caught it, and then the Michigan player ripped it out, but Fleming was out of bounds when that happened, so before it happened. So, um, yeah, yeah, honestly, I, like there, there's not one point where I'm like, the officials got it wrong or they did that. On, honestly, like that officiating crew – I thought actually did a heck of a job and we only ever like to talk ill about referees. I actually kind of want to give them their kudos. I thought the referees made zero impact on the result of this game. And that's how we want it at the end of the day, yeah. right? The referees mm-hmm. did nothing to decide that, which I think was pretty neat. Absolutely. I, I couldn't really think when you asked that question, I was like, I was trying to think, was there anything that really jumped out to me? And I, there I had a was. hard time thinking There's like four or five plays that could have been deemed controversial. And the referees at the end of the day did the right thing that I think they made the best judgment on how things looked in real time. And then they did a good job of like, we're not going to make the outcome. It just, the play happened, let the play determine it. So, uh, as, yeah, you can go back on on previous games, and uh, you can probably circle you know a play or two that you would say that was egregiously called. And, really, uh, in this game, because you guys never talk about anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> this game, I think what you're right that there's not a lot of that that you would be overly concerned with. So yeah, I would say in general, I was pretty pleased with it. Um, the the one that didn't have a big impact on the game but I thought was crazy was there was a defensive holding called on Mason Graham, our defensive tackle on a run play. I don't think I've ever seen defensive holding on a run play. Uh, And I do think that was a result of Ryan day working the officials, but in the end, that's a pretty inconsequential play uh, where I think Ohio state was marching on the field anyways. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good job. Anything else before we get into some of these other games, we'll kind of rapid fire them. Not, not really. Um, it was 
like I said, like that, that was one of the most just like, you can't really like, you don't really be like, oh, if this happened, this happened. Like that game just, that, that was two really good, probably evenly matched teams that, that played. And I think the two things that carried Michigan was the efficiency and not having turnovers and the toughness, the mentality of every single play mattered. I think those two things carried the day for Michigan and they, and they mm-hmm. won because they were better than Ohio state in those two areas. All right. So I got to be honest, my head was so into Michigan, Ohio state. I did not get eyes on as many games as usual. However, I did get to watch a lot of Alabama Auburn. Did you get to see especially the ending of the iron bowl? Yeah. And that is just (laughs) the most insane thing I've ever seen because that whole game set, set the stage for for us. Okay, so just in general, all game, Alabama looked like they were doing everything they could to lose this game. Auburn had like ninety five passing yards in this game. They had six completions to wide receivers the entire game, and Bama's going down to score. And I'm already forgetting, but was this started when uh, Jalen Milrow? threw the ball past the line of scrimmage. Was that on this final drive or was that earlier in the game? Mm, I'm, I'm it might've been earlier in the game, but Jalen Monroe, after they're in the, on the goal line, they hiked the ball and it just went screaming past <laughs> Monroe and he had to get down there and cover it. And it had a reminiscence of the Bama Georgia national championship when in overtime it didn't get snapped over to his head, but it was like a he it was like a really what, bad, 15, yeah. 16 yard loss that you were like, oh, Bama just buried themselves. There's absolute no chance. And then just somehow fourth and goal from the 31 yard line, I think is what it was from. I don't remember. It was 31 not close. Or 33, something like that. It's somewhere in there. And there there is nothing short of the good gracious savior, Jesus Christ intervening in this game, because there's no other reason why it should have happened. But Milrow just being Milrow just makes a, a stunning play. Uh, was it Burton that came down with it? Was it Jermaine Burton? No, it was, Oh crud. I, I knew this I know Burton had one big touchdown in the game literally earlier I today. I don't know the loss, the loss of the game has got me in a fog of everything, but uh, either way, uh, they came down with a, with a great play under a minute left. And it was just, honestly, it, it kind of attunes to this whole thing that we it was said. Isaiah we Bond. Might, Isaiah Bond, yep. Yeah. And so we, we, might have, uh, we might have made fun of Alabama too much because they might just be riding a magic that is, <laughs> oh, you guys said all this stuff after us for week two, you're going to pay. And teams aren't even beating us now when they should have because Alabama did everything to lose the game. But they've got the Georgia game coming up now. Auburn, all they had to do was win. It didn't matter how, but they put one in the storybooks, and it might have been one of those ones that erased the pain a little bit of the 2013 kick six, right? Because it was just (laughs) – that's the most miraculous thing that could have happened. But Bama not only did something 10 years later, but they did it in the same stadium where the kick six happened. So it might have been something that was kind of writing – the hurt of that time. Now they can actually look back to Jordan Hare State and be like, hey, we're the ones that actually made a miraculous play. And it could very well lead them to playing in a national title game, the same way that paid off for Auburn to go play in a national title game. So 
I this is where my brain goes. Are, are you more impressed by the throw from Milrow to the back pylon and the catch by Isaiah Bond? Or are you more impressed in a bad way by the type of defense selected by Auburn for a final fourth and 30, fourth and goal uh, situation? Because I was astounded at the defensive strategy employed by the Auburn uh, Tigers. But what if Auburn had a great strategy? That pass could have still been completed. Okay, let's let's set the scene some more. Auburn rushes, I believe, two. And when I say rushes, they literally just kind of stand there because they're afraid of Milrow running. And so Milrow stands back in the pocket like he's a kid in the side lot at recess with no one counting 10 apples. And even if they counted 10 apples, they chose not to rush. He's standing back there just surveying. And you give any quarterback and a D1 receiver enough time, someone will get open enough that you've got a shot. For Jalen Milrow, your best defense is to at least get someone to pressure him into a decision. You can't let him stand back there like he's just on this island with no worries or cares in the world. I was shocked when I saw these defensive linemen not even pushing a pocket. He yeah. he could have made a frozen beverage. He could have gotten the lazy boy out, read the newspaper, and then got back up and then still made that throw. Uh, I think I'm more impressed with the poor defensive choice by Auburn. But at the same time, Jalen Milrow threw a absolute dot to the yeah. back corner that it, it, it to me that's what impresses me more because Milrow was not known for that this whole season it was can he actually win a game on his arm and yes even though he had probably more time in the world than any QB has ever had in a game like that he still made the throw that they were saying was holding Alabama back all season think back to the South Florida game when they tried their other two QBs and they barely survived in the rain because they didn't know if Jalen Monroe was their guy. Mm-hmm. Even with how terrible Auburn's defense was, he he finally stepped up and made the play that everyone was saying for a long time he can't, and it's Alabama's biggest weakness. Well, he just put that to bed because that was, even if he had all the time in the world, I think he's making that play two two times out of ten, maybe even just one time out of ten. So... It was a spectacular throw, a spectacular catch. And even with no rush, you know, they could have rushed four and he maybe still could have ended up in the spot that he threw the ball. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, I do believe, I have always believed you should rush four, maybe even five sometimes because you should minimize the time a QB has, but still an absolute incredible throw. It wasn't like he threw this lame duck that just dropped in space and an Alabama player had to be it. It was a precise throw in a great spot. And the last thing before we move on, does this performance by Alabama, because Auburn is not a good team. I know it's a rivalry game. Alabama should have lost that game. Does this influence your thoughts on whether Alabama can beat Georgia in the SEC championship game or not? I don't know because out of rivalry week, what what team did walk away who played a tough rivalry game or a tough matchup or a good team? Who did walk away where you were like, wow, that team is ready to do it now, right? The only one you could maybe say is Georgia, but they played Georgia Tech. 
So uh, I don't know that there was any one team that walked away. And if you were going to put someone there, I mean, Michigan clearly not only had the most impressive win, they have the best win on the season. So, well, you know what? You could maybe argue that Texas winning at Alabama could still be the number one win because Michigan did it at home. And Alabama was ranked number three when they beat them, but it's early in the season. I don't know. We'll get to that later. But um, yeah, because maybe it could because Alabama's had games where, because think back to what year is it? 2021 when Georgia won the first national championship, but they didn't win the SEC. Bama came off barely beating Auburn, right? Like late two point conversion or late touchdown. Barely beat Auburn at Auburn. They looked terrible. And then Bryce Young came in and diced up that defense. So, yes, I do still think Alabama can do it. I still think Alabama can beat Georgia. Maybe I'm not learning lessons from the past. I just I just don't see it. I think that Bama is a dangerous team for most teams, but I just don't know that they're going to be able to hang with, with Georgia. Maybe not, but coaching again, saving at an SEC championship game just – just cannot be fun at all. It just can't be fun. No, and it's a game I, I can't wait to to watch this upcoming Saturday. Uh, let's go to the game that's near and dear to your heart. Louisville drops a heartbreaker to Kentucky. I did not get any eyes on this game, so you'll have to carry here. But what's what's the emotions feeling after your your chosen team, Louisville, drops their rivalry game with Kentucky? It's it's a tough one because you know it it wasn't it wasn't a uh, an ACC game so it didn't it didn't cost them uh, an ACC championship spot but you could make an I see and here's the other thing too with Louisville I think without Jordan Travis I don't think they could get into the playoff I think they needed a healthy Jordan Travis and a healthy Florida State. And then yep. they were going to need to beat them very convincingly the same way they beat Notre Dame early in the year. So I think even if they won, I think Jordan Travis getting hurt actually eliminated Louisville itself. But I think at the end of the day, what it showed is Louisville is a team in a weaker conference that is good enough to play for a conference title, but they're not anywhere near the playoff contention because all of a sudden they came against Kentucky, who was in the SEC who's been battle-tested all year long. And what you saw was Louisville was in the lead mid-third quarter, but the moment you got to the second half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you saw Kentucky be more physical, you saw them be more confident, and you saw them be more efficient. And Louisville crumbled in those moments. In that moment where it mattered most to win a a game against your rival and quote-unquote keep your playoff hopes alive, they just didn't have it at the end of the day. They didn't have a quality... Um, they didn't have the one person they could rely on and Kentucky who was battle tested all season long. You saw them grind out a really good win on the road. That looks great for Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops still got a decent resume himself. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Louisville can still win the ACC championship game against Florida state. And I'm honestly, maybe still expecting them to at this point. Um, but yeah, Louisville's just, you know, year one under Jeff Brom. You can you can put together a good team in a weak conference and get 10 wins and get to a conference championship game, but it's just, it's not a playoff team. We got confirmation that they're not a playoff team and they weren't maybe as close as I wanted to make them out to be. A big win for Kentucky. And not only a win on the field, but off the field, they retain 
their head coach, Mark Stoops, who flirted with Texas A&M. And after a pretty large public outcry, decides to stay in Lexington, uh, which I think is best for everyone involved. So uh, a, a good weekend of football for Kentucky. And then that brings us to the Apple Cup. Washington squeaks one out against Washington State. Maybe they're saving it up. But the way Washington continues to just squeak by in their <laughs> victories, I am losing a lot of confidence that Washington can be a true contender. I think they probably get eliminated against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. What takeaways you have from the Apple Cup? Yeah, two things. One, um, are they a fraud? Is Washington a fraud? It's the first thought process I have is because We've been saying it all season long. I feel like Dan Lanning lost Oregon the game against Washington. They should have won that game. They should be undefeated. They should now be the third-ranked team going to the, into these playoff rankings, but they're not going to be. Uh, and Washington, since the Oregon game, has not put on one performance where you're like, oh, there's the Washington right there. There they are. There's a team that, if they get to the playoff, they could potentially get to a national title game. If somehow they scrape by Oregon in this Pac-12 championship game, uh, they're out first round. I don't think I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them getting by. Uh, well, let, let me ask you real quick. So you said Washington's a fraud. Last year was TCU fraudulent. It's yes, because yeah, <laughs> I think they, they were. were. They were because they made the I, national title game. They made they the national fraudulent. title game, but I think anyone with a decent understanding of college football understands they won the one game out of 10 against Michigan that they were going to get. I don't think there was any other path to victory for TCU than what they did in that game, uh, especially because Michigan didn't even have Blake Corum, who you know was was a Heisman finalist that year until he got hurt. He was a Heisman finalist. Uh, and so I, th I think TCU won that game the only way they could. Because uh, especially, too, you, you, you saw that Ohio State-Georgia game, and then you saw mm. the difference between Georgia and TCU. So, yeah, TCU was a fraud. Um, I, think, I think they were just very opportunistic in their mm -hmm. playoff game. But because I, 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 if they played Michigan, I don't think Michigan makes the same mistakes twice the way, that they, the way they played the TCU game which was just the absurd play calls that they were making sometimes and just God only knows what they're doing. And I think this year you're kind of seeing Michigan learn from their mistakes because they're saying, hey, if we're even in the lead, we're just going to let other teams make their mistakes and we're just going to do our thing. Uh, and Washington would get smoked by Georgia. Yeah, I, I asked that because I, I think that Washington does remind me of TCU. Fraudulent seems like a strong word because I do think winning is a skill that Washington has and TCU had last year winning these close you, games. But the reason but they're winning close games. Say, can you confidently say Washington's the third best team in the country? Because they're going to be ranked Absolutely third. not. They're going to no, be ranked because, third. Because I, I can confidently say I believe that they will lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm also hoping I'm wrong. Just because I, I, I like to see these teams that are scrappy – and don't have that aura about them of being a juggernaut like a TCU, like a Washington this year, that they just struggle 
and fight their way to a win that might not be as pretty as you know we deem it should be. So, yeah, Washington, I, I don't I don't think that they're uh, they're what we maybe thought they were earlier this year. So that's that's unfortunate for them, but they'll have a chance to prove us all wrong coming up next week. Uh, did you have anything else before we move on to the last rivalry game? Uh, not really. I, I guess one question is what now that the regular season is over and we have a full season to look at outside of the Pac-12 championship, do you still believe the Pac-12 is in the same realm as the SEC this year? Do you think so? Because we've been saying it all year at minimum, you know, I was predicting they'd be the best conference and throughout the season, at minimum, they were the number two conference. But there were lots of moments where we looked at where, hey, they're the best, they're the best conference. But now that we've kind of removed ourselves, and especially because we've seen the way that Washington has performed, um, and that a lot of these teams kind of did end up beating up on each other, and just the absolute whatever happened to USC this year. Um, do we still think that the Pac-12 was the best conference or did they did they benefit from the hype, their non-conference wins, and then it set up all these one and two loss matchups at worst well into the end of the season? So mm-hmm. is, is it all a mirage that the Pac-12 really was this incredible conference this year? Or do you think they lived up to the hype and it's just they're a deep conference, even a team that was seven and four or six and five was going to be really competitive with the teams at the top of the conference. Which way are you leading? I think that that latter, that they were a deep conference. Um, we're, we're still going to have to wait and see how do they match up against the top elite tier teams from other conferences? Um, because like you said, I do have a sneaking suspicion that Washington wouldn't match up. Well, I think Oregon will. And uh, then you go from top to bottom and you compare it to other conferences. So like the Big Ten, for example, I think the Big Ten is about as top-heavy a conference as there is, but the entirety of the rest of the conference, if you take the sixth-best team in the Pac-12 and then the sixth-best team in the Big Ten, it's I think it's no contest the Pac-12 team is better. And it's probably going to be the same in the SEC, and it's going to be definitely the same in the ACC or Big 12. So the... The quality of competition in the Pac-12, I think, is undeniable. I look at a team like Arizona, who had a very quiet start to the season but came on strong at the end. That's a team you don't want to mess with right now. Uh, if I will say this. If USC had pulled their weight, I think we would say undoubtedly it was the best conference, but because USC had a down year, uh, it's more arguable. But... By and large, man, you're looking at these teams towards the bottom that you're still you're going to get a fight. So, yeah, I think it's a, a, a great year for the Pac-12 and a fantastic. If there has to be a last year, uh, go out and show just how, how great you were. So, yeah, hats off to the Pac-12. I'll agree. I don't think, I don't think there's anything else I need to say. I just – I agree with all of it. So, well uh, – We'll move on from there. Um, Just because I think it's on the same topic, let's go with this. Let's start to look at the college football playoff now. Okay. Uh, And there's 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 three things that we want to do. Is is first things first. 
what let's go through our top eight rankings with the way we think it's going to be this coming Tuesday, the way that we are going to rank this. Um, I don't know. Do do you have all eight of those down? I have my top four, but I could, I could do eight super. Okay. So let's, let's start at the top then let's start at the top and we'll build our way down. Okay. So come Tuesday, who is your number one team? Georgia. Okay. Um, I have Michigan. If it was me, I would have Michigan. But I am predicting what the committee will do. And I think that the committee is pretty tapped into national media opinions. And while Michigan gets a lot of love for the win over Ohio State, I heard a lot of the same questions that we asked earlier. Can Michigan do more than just beat Ohio State? The win over Ohio State didn't win them points on the national stage of, oh, this is a national championship contender, as much as, wow, these guys have got Ohio State's number, and they're they're running through the Big Ten. So I think the eye test with the way Georgia has uh, beaten a lot of teams, although they did struggle against Georgia Tech, But I think that they're going to give them a pass for that. And I think that Georgia will be number one. And even if Georgia's number one, they would jump back. Or if Georgia's number two, they would jump back to number one with a win over Alabama next week. So I'm not putting a ton of thought into it. Yeah. I think Georgia will be number one eventually. Okay. So my counter to that is outside of the anomaly of Florida state and the way that they were ranking them before Jordan Travis injury. Uh, it seemed like the, what the committee had been favoring most is your strength of schedule, your quality wins and strength of those wins. And let's look at it. Ohio state started off. Number one, we all sat here and said, like, there's no way Ohio state's the best team in the country. Everyone was saying that. But yet the mm-hmm. committee did it for, what, three weeks? They had Ohio State number one until Georgia put those Mizzou and Ole Miss wins on back-to-back weeks. Once that happened, they finally put Georgia number one. Even though everyone was saying the whole time that Georgia was better and probably Michigan was better too. And I think they've been very consistent this year outside of Florida State on putting together your, your strength of schedule your quality wins, and your record overall. I think they've actually been fairly consistent on that. I think you can look at Texas remaining above Alabama this entire time, even though there's a lot of argument to be made that Bama looks better than Texas and is probably better than Texas right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think for that reason, I think they might say on a razor's edge that Michigan now has the best win in the country on the season. And they played their three toughest games in a row, and they did it without their head coach on the sidelines. And yeah. so I think that is going to carry weight for this ranking. And I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler, I think, for this week only. But I mm-hmm. am expecting on Tuesday to see Michigan at number one. And so obviously I think our one and two are just flip flop. You have Michigan. Yep. I have Georgia. So, all right. Number yep. three, Washington. Same. Uh, Four, Oregon. Interesting. So this, this, okay, okay. 
here's the thing. There's actually two teams that I wanted to put at number four, but I did stick with Florida State. Yeah, okay. Which is interesting because I think no matter what, if they went out, I think they're out. I don't think they're getting in. Oh. Um, I, I, I think they're out um, because I'm, I'm trying to come across this in the most unbiased way. We'll, we'll get to this when we get to the final four. We'll get, when we get scenarios in a moment. I have Florida State at fourth. Um, and then actually I have Ohio state at fifth. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I think following, because the one thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to follow the same logic. They've loved Ohio state all season long. Ohio state now has the best loss in the country where they had a chance to go down and win the game at the end. And for some reason, ESPN FPI actually put Ohio state at number one after this week. I don't know how that actually impacts the committee in any way, but the FPI sometimes feels like it actually thinks more like the committee than we do sometimes. So I think because of that, what they might say is Ohio state has a better loss than what Oregon has. And I think you could find a way to say that the Notre Dame win is potentially still better than any win that Oregon has. So I think based on those two things right there, Ohio State will stay above Oregon for this week. And then I have Oregon at six. Um, before I, I go into my five and six, the ESPN FPI is, um, I think, powered by monkeys and <laughs> dumb monkeys at that. Uh, in that ESPN FPI, guess who the number four team is? Penn State. <laughs> so Michigan, who is at number two in FPI, has beaten the number one and the number four team in the FPI and is still only Hence why two. I ranked them at number one. You're welcome. <laughs> the FPI apparently giving Ohio State credit for a quality loss, which Michigan does not have. I'll take um, any positives I can right now. <laughs> so I, I, I said I had Oregon number four. I did have them jump Florida State, even though they have the loss that Florida State doesn't. But I do have Florida State at five. And I think that incentivizes Florida State like, hey, you have to go out and show us something in the ACC championship. Uh, at six, I have Ohio State. And then I'll just go through my seven and eight. Seven, I have Texas. And eight, I have Bama. Yep. Same thing. So. All right. So then from there, do you want to get into like. Okay. So. Four? Just. Well, big question for you. Let's just. Let's start to look at. Let's analyze some things for a second. Can all eight of these teams still make the playoff? Or are any of them out? No, they all have a, a path. Okay. Okay. So let, according let's start. to you, Florida State doesn't, though, right? I mean, I I think if some of these teams lose out and just kind of help Florida State, but I think there's I think there's a way for Florida State to slide to fifth. Remember, uh, twenty fourteen, TCU was third going into conference championship weekend, and they were sixth in the final rankings. So. Mm-hmm. The committee does all they want the whole time, and then they say, "Okay, we've got everything. Who's the best four teams?" So let's just start to look at. Let's start to look for some chaos. Uh, um, so, big question I have: Which conference title game has the most stipulation in terms of it's the biggest game and it can have the biggest effect on how these rankings shake out? I think that that question is easily a tie. I don't think you can say one over the other. Because the SEC championship and the 
the Pac-12, both are two teams that have opportunities to make the playoff. Um, I don't know that I could pick one over the other. I, I guess if you want to say the most chaos, because if Bama beat Georgia, that would be insanity. How the committee would react to that. Could they put Bama in over Texas who beat Alabama earlier? That I guess maybe you have to say that uh, for that instance. But because I think Oregon-Washington might be more of a even toss-up game, I I would be shocked if Bama was able to pull the upset on Georgia. I just don't see it. Okay. So I give those two team I give those two games equal billing, but it's clearly that those two are one A one B, and everything else just kind of falls behind those two. Do you have one that's better than the other? I think the SEC championship could have bigger implications. So here's scenario one: Michigan dominates Iowa, Washington beats Oregon again, Florida State. Not exactly OSU 2014, but they convincingly beat Louisville by 17, 20 points. Game's never in doubt. And so they're undefeated. So you got three 13 and 0 teams. Bama beats Georgia. They're both 12 and 1. Texas dominates Oklahoma State. Oh, boy. Who's your fourth team? Okay, Are you so leaving Michigan the SEC out after all of this? Do Georgia Michigan, and Bama both get out? Because Washington. the committee has had Texas above Bama the entire time because Texas beat them in Tuscaloosa. Boy, that is tough. So your, your two easy ones are Michigan and Washington. And then after that, you have to determine, is an undefeated Florida State more deserving than a one-loss Bama, one loss, Texas. And then I, at that point, Ohio State's just not even in the picture, I don't think. No. Um, boy. If, if the committee – I think you can't – I personally think that the anger of the nation over an undefeated Power 5 champ in Florida State being left out would would be too much for them to kick Florida State out, even though I don't think with that injury to Jordan Travis, <laughs> it might not be the wrong decision. But I think Florida State would be in if that game is is a easy victory. And then you're basically saying, okay, Texas or Bama, it's a coin flip. I honestly have zero indication of what they would do. I think they might go with Bama. I think Florida State gets left out. I and think Florida might, State ends, I think Florida State is a fifth because they're going to be like, listen, Bama beat Georgia, number 1 team for basically all the year besides 3 weeks. Bama beat Georgia, Texas beat Alabama, and that LSU victory is not holding its weight for Florida State because LSU has four losses now, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And also Jordan Travis is gone. Uh, I think Florida State gets knocked out. I I, I think they're going to say, listen, our job was to get the four best teams, and I think they can validate that they think Texas and Alabama are both better than Florida State. That might might be the right decision, but it just it feels wrong. It does feel wrong, team. but it would be the right decision. So, um, 
I, just, I, I think that's how it would go. So uh, second scenario, and just more of a question, uh, what teams don't control their own destiny? I mean, is Ohio State the only one, or do you think just, Florida State does not control their own destiny? I mean, in, in a chaos scenario that you laid out, Florida State might not. But at the same time, in most situations where – like Georgia wins, and let's just say uh, Washington, Washington or Oregon, it almost doesn't matter who wins, the winner is in. If Florida State wins their game, I think that they're going to be in, barring madness. So, like, 95%, yeah, Florida State controls their destiny. Uh, I think, really, it's just Ohio State. Okay. Oh, well, Texas. Texas is uh, still hoping for some... Yes, somehow. I think Texas does not control their own destiny. I would agree with that because if the top four went out, you know, there's there's still the opportunity for four undefeated teams, right? There's still the top possibility of four undefeated Power Five teams. Texas would be the team that I think would get left out. Um, so yeah, I think Texas doesn't. I think Ohio State and Texas for sure do not control their own destiny. And I think you can group Florida State in there because I think I think Florida State either they need some they either need to look God level like OSU did in 2014, or they need some other teams to not look like the team like like for like Texas barely scraping by Oklahoma State, but they're praying for a loss there. They also need I think Florida State also needs Georgia to win. I think Florida State needs Alabama to be out because if Alabama wins and Texas wins, Texas has the thing over Alabama. So I think Georgia, I think Florida state's best friend is Georgia. Uh, I think that's their best friend. Mm -hmm. So the last question I have for you, then the team that least controls their destiny, what is, what does Ohio state need to happen to get into the playoff? Um, it's, it's a lot. So, I think they need Florida State to lose, clearly. They need, I think, Texas to lose. And then, I think that's it. Okay, so, here's my scenario that I have for OSU. Ohio State is rooting for Georgia. Get Bama out of the way. Ohio State is rooting, like especially like like OSU wants Georgia to dominate Alabama, like okay. three four touchdowns. So let's look at this now. Texas either lose loses to Oklahoma State. So here's scenario one. Texas, let's say let's say Texas loses to Oklahoma State. That's, this is Ohio State's best thing. Georgia wins, so Bama loses. Texas loses. Now let's say Florida State squeaks by Louisville. I think the Pac-12 championship has zero impact on Ohio State because the winner's in. Mm -hmm. The winner's in, the loser's out. Um, So Michigan, Georgia, either in Pac-12 champion. Let's say FSU scrapes by Louisville. Are you taking Florida State or Ohio State? Because Ohio State lost on the road at Michigan with a chance to win at the end. Yeah. So hard. Um, okay, 
we took out is the only team that we really took out was Texas and Bama because Georgia beats Bama. Yeah, I think that if if Florida State doesn't look impressive, Ohio State takes that spot. I hate that, but Ohio State didn't. They didn't lose this game against Michigan like they lost the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. It was a, a game that came down to the final possession that they very easily could have won in in a way a tough away environment. So yeah, I oh man, can you imagine Georgia getting the one seed and then having to face Ohio State again? They would just be so sick. I want it that they would have to play Ohio State all. I over want Georgia again. again. I want them again. <laughs> uh, which no other team is probably saying that, but. I'll take, especially because for me, I just want to be in there, right? I just want Ohio right. State to be in the playoffs. So give me Georgia if we have to. I'm going to take the same scenario and tweak it a little bit, okay? Georgia beats Bama by three touchdowns. And maybe at one point they're up by four or more. Like they dominate the crap out of them. Texas scrapes by Oklahoma State, like barely. Like not looking impressive. Florida State gets by Louisville, not looking impressive. Would you still take Ohio State over both those teams? No, Texas uh, with that Bama win. And I think, I hate to say this, but brand name, I think, is going to carry Texas. Uh, when you have that Longhorn logo, uh, it's it's hard to say that the champion of the Big 12 in the Texas Longhorns is going to get jumped by a team that was – idle where florida state you're dealing with uh we don't have your quarterback anymore where texas is healthy and honestly like this last game they beat their in-conference opponent by 50 points i think Mm -hmm. so i don't see texas getting jumped but i could absolutely see florida state getting jumped okay so for you if texas wins out they're automatically ahead of ohio state i think so okay okay that's a good thing the last, the last thing I want to ask about the rankings, and then you can tell me anything else before we get into our four, do we get to our final four predictions? Um, what are the odds that when these rankings come out, all that happened is they flip flopped Ohio State and Michigan, two and three? Like, do they really think Florida State is better than Ohio State? Do they really think Washington? is better than Ohio State. And like I said, I think no matter what metric you use, I think Ohio State will stay ranked ahead of Oregon right now, even though I think Oregon could beat Ohio State on a neutral field. Uh, what are the odds that they just flip-flop them and they say, you know what, we think Ohio State is this? Because if, if, if Ohio State is ranked three, are they just in? No, because I think they could get jumped by – I mean, you have teams playing for championships – which is a, I believe, a, a check mark on their resume that they give credit for. So Texas adding that big trophy next to the resume gives them a bump. Same thing with Oregon or Washington. So, I uh, no team man, has made the tough. playoff more without winning a conference title than Ohio State. Oh, it's Ohio State. I'm not saying it's not possible. I, I have a feeling Washington might be ahead of them. Uh, just because they have that big win over Oregon and are still undefeated, but it what it was also the final score against Washington me. State? Was it seventeen fourteen at home? Uh, 20, 24 to twenty. So uh, you know, they either way right. they won by three. They won by three. <laughs> was it only three? 
because they, they kicked a game-winning field goal. Dude, okay, hold on. Let me let me pull up the score real quick, man. I'm a little – I don't know that it was in the 20s. 24-20. Yeah, it's 24-21. Okay. But still, like, I mean, Washington State was kind of crumbling for a while too. So – I wouldn't be shocked. I'll say that. But I think that Ohio State will drop more. Uh, specifically because I've already kind of put it out there that I don't think the committee is going to give full respect to Michigan to give them that number one. Uh, if if Michigan was the number one team, then maybe they res- give Ohio State that also mutual respect, like, hey, you lost to the best team. But with Michigan at two, I just don't don't know if they can give Ohio State that much benefit of the doubt. Okay. We'll see. I, I Like I said, I'm expecting Ohio State to be fifth. Uh, but I think – I I, I – just because the committee is the committee and they love to uh, they love to favor brands, I'm just I'm not going to be shocked if Ohio State was still three. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, so, all right, let's get into final four predictions. What do you think? What do you think it is going to look like when we get the uh, when we get selection Sunday? What? Who's number one for you? Number one is Georgia. Uh, I think with the win over Alabama, Michigan's win over Iowa, mm-hmm. if they're able to get that, is not impressive. Iowa is the worst 10-2 and two team in the history of college football. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a team that beat Nebraska this week 13-10. to 10. They did so because their defense was able to get an interception late. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensively, they're inept. And defensively, eventually, they'll, they'll wear down. Penn State beat this team, I believe, like 30-0 to zero or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think Michigan earns any points. I think Georgia definitely earns points with a win over yep. Bama. Number one, Georgia Bulldogs. I have the same thing because even though I said Michigan was going to be number one, I feel like the committee is really taking it just week by week. And mm-hmm. I think they're. I think what they're doing is they're honoring really good wins in the right way. And so I think they're going to honor the Michigan win over Ohio State for a week. But then I think Georgia's going to come back. And even though I think Bama can win, I'm expecting Georgia to pretty much announce themselves and uh, make a statement win. I guess say, hey, you know what? Michigan had a razor's edge against that. But now that we have the whole totality and seeing what Georgia did in their SEC title game, I think it's going to put Georgia back on top. So I think Georgia won and Michigan two. And uh, yeah, I do have Michigan two. Uh, number three, I have Oregon. I think that they are able to get that win over Washington. And number four is where I am. I'm going back and forth on it. You've kind of talked me out of it. But my initial prediction is Florida State. I think that they can get the win over Louisville. I think they can do enough that the committee just can't get themselves to kick out an undefeated Power 5 champion. Uh, If they do... I mean, hey, we have all the ammunition we need to to really know that that extended play, expanded playoff is a good thing because no matter if it's the right decision or not, it does feel awful for a team that won every single game in a Power 5 conference not to get that chance. So for now, my pick is for Florida State, which uh, does feel like Georgia gets a bye, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh that's that's where I'm at. Where are you at at number four? I think that's where the real intrigue is at. Texas, Texas. Because I think I Florida love- State's. I think Florida State's losing to Louisville. 
I have that sneaking suspicion, but I just I I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm pulling for him. I feel bad about the whole Jordan Travis thing. Go uh, Cards. <laughs> but we we know you have a soft spot for for the Louisville Cardinals. Let's wrap up and end our pod with a Heisman prediction. I think we're both he- heading the same direction here because we both have Oregon at number three. Is Bo Nix your Heisman? Right now, yes. But I, I think the Pac-12 championship will decide the Heisman Trophy. I think it will. And I think outside of those two, there's one other sneaky person in there that could there do it. another. So what if Bo Nix and Penix both struggle just because it's the stage? Well, let's, let's go f- just one step further. Let's say that Penix wins that game but doesn't because he's honestly struggled the past couple weeks, even maybe more. So if Penix wins that game over Bo Nix, but doesn't like throw for, you know, upper three hundreds or whatever, is that enough for you to give this trophy to Jaden Daniels? I, I think they would really struggle to give it to a person on an eight and four team. I think that's, really really tough to be able to do actually no they're nine and three they did finish nine and three um hand them the high I, I guess i guess for some <laughs> reason i just finally looked at the uh i thought texas a&m beat them i guess i had just seen the result that texas a&m was up by a lot i didn't see that else came back so um that actually changes things for me um see i, I to me Jaden daniels um has a chance I, I think if, if none of these, I think there's four finalists. I think it's Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels, and Carson Beck. I think those are your four finalists on there. Um, I think Jaden Daniels probably needs neither of those three quarterbacks to have a Heisman moment. Okay. Um, I think Bo Nix has the best chance right now to cement himself. I would say Michael Penix is number two, but... I would not sleep on the fact that if let's just say Washington, Oregon is a great game in the sense of it's ugly and it's two teams that are just like doing anything they can to get to the college football playoff. And it's not a quarterback centric game. But what if Carson Beck just does what he's been doing all season, which is throw for the upper two hundreds or really in the three hundreds. And he does it against Alabama. Mm -hmm. I mean, is Carson Beck just getting invited or could Carson Beck win is there still four quarterbacks that could all win the Heisman still just depending on how conference championship week shakes out or I've had a couple people make this argument Jaden Daniels already won it (laughs) I don't think that he's already won it um I think Bo Nix has an opportunity and that's my prediction I think Bo Nix goes and wins it in uh a chance at redemption against Washington but absolutely I think the Heisen race is not decided. And yes, Carson Beck, if he was to go off against Bama, Heisman voters are very, uh, they have very short memory. And what you did in rivalry week, what you do in conference championship week is often an indicator of, of who's going to win or not. I really think um, Alabama's quarterback, uh, Bryce Young, he won the Heisman, I think, because he led that last second drive against Auburn 
mm-hmm. in a game where I think the game the score is nine to three in the fourth quarter. And he led a touchdown to extend that game and eventually win in overtime. I think that won him the Heisman. I think Aiden Hutchinson was the second place Heisman trophy uh, runner up because he had three sacks against Ohio state. So I think it's all coming down to this week. And if none of those guys really cements it, Jane Daniels absolutely is, is in the thick of it. Okay. Bo Nix though. Been saying, been saying it since like what week six, <laughs> Bo Nix Heisman, man went from Auburn to can't do anything to dude. Bo Nix, if Bo Nix wins this national championship, he might end up being one of the best college football stories in terms of a player. Like, seeing where he started from and, like, the fact that people were saying he was the problem at at Auburn to where he could be the reason at Oregon that he won a Heisman and won a national title. That's honestly kind of crazy. And the thing is is he could do it against a team that plagued him multiple times. Georgia plagued him at Auburn, and Georgia plagued him in his first game at mm-hmm. Oregon when they drubbed him 49-3. to So what, what if Bo Nix came back and beat Georgia in the national championship? That's actually kind of an insane story. great story. story. That's an yeah. insane story. Well, it'll be another great national championship for the Big Ten. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Football Frenemies. We are excited to take in these championship games. We'll be back at it to recap those games and what it's going to mean for the upcoming college football playoff. Thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, we'll catch you next time.